Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. It's about eight months out. I'm sitting on the couch scrolling over bank records and credit card stuff, and I'm realizing, wait, I have enough miles, and with that gift card and that gift card, and if I save a little bit here, I tell Marissa, we can do it. We can do it. We can totally, totally do it. And we're like, all right, so we get the tickets. It's six months out. 4 a.m., we wake up early to get all the reservations, all the things, all lined up, ready to go. It's two months out. We plan the reveal for our little kid. We we're like, okay, wait, if we hide this puzzle piece in the fridge, and then this one in the garage, and then he has to go outside and do this, and then in the chimney sweep, then he has to do this, and then there's going to be this box with balloons that are going to go out like this to hold the reveal. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, get all the stuff together. Two weeks out, it's Christmas morning. We wake up our son so early, like, we're all, like, excited, like, to make the reveal and do everything. Um, and, like, he comes out of bed, and it's like, he goes through and he does all the things. The balloons come out. We're like, we're going to Disney World! And he's like, I want to go back to bed. Stop. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm like, no, like, we're going to go to Disney World. Like, this is exciting. He's like, I don't care. Like, like all this big excitement and everything that we planned and everything. He's like, oh, whatever. But then, like, eventually, like, then it's packing. Right, and, and we lay it all out. We have the suitcase. We get it all, all lined out. My wife has, like, clothes everywhere. Like all of the matching things. She's like, okay, this is what I'm going to wear on day one and day two and day three. And then this is what you're going to wear like on all these different days. Like there are clothes upon clothes upon clothes like everywhere. And then she's like, okay, we got to get the little like lanyard thing that you put your phone in because if you get it wet, like you got to do that whole thing. Like, and okay, we have to get these things and all that. How many of you guys are planners like that? You're like, you're going on a trip. You're like, I'm going to like, like have all of these things lined out, right? Like how many of you are the opposite? You're like, it's the night before, you're like, here's my drawer, here, like, and you throw it in there, and you're just like, all right, let's go, like, we're going to have a shot here. Uh, like, that, like, planning, and, like, you, you got to take it stuff on, in your luggage, though, right? You got to, like, take the stuff that you need to make it an awesome trip. And Disney World, like, this time, like, the first time taking our son, uh, we were so excited um, and, and, and bought into making it great, making it phenomenal. Um, how many of you actually are like you're kind of in the mix or maybe even uh, extra? Uh, you plan and like you do the, the drawer plus like extra stuff that you're like, well, I might need that. Um, you know, like I might need a sawzall like on this trip, like over here, and like I might, I might need this other little thing. And then it turns out you never actually needed it at all. Uh, but like you were prepared, like you were ready, like yeah. And he, like I sometimes I'm like that a little bit myself. Um, but like that's life, right? And trips, oftentimes, like you know, whether you're a planner or not, like there is stuff that you got to take uh, to make that thing happen. Um, I remember there was another trip uh, that I took with a bunch of friends. We were going to a conference, um, and we were loading up in front of our house uh, to getting ready to go. We had like a, um, a Chevy Tahoe, um, and like they used to like have storage, and like the new ones, like they don't. They've got foot room, like plenty of length, and it's comfortable. But like the storage in the back is like gone. Like I, I don't know what happened. And like, but I, I am the Tetris master. I'm going to make this fit. It's going to be good. There's like seven of us going on this trip, but I am going to make it, make it fit. And so I'm like, okay, bring all the luggage here. And so like I gather all the luggage together and I'm like, okay, here, okay, I'm going to put this here with this here. Okay, wait, let me pause. So my house 
is on a hill, and we're getting loaded out front. And it's a hill, like it, like it literally is like, it's steep. Like, um, and somewhere in the commotion, because we're all excited, we're talking to each other, somewhere in the commotion, one of the luggages that has wheels gets loose and starts careening down the, 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 the street. And I'm just like, oh no, wait, like I, I run after it. And like, luckily like it spun and like flipped around and like before it landed, like, or hit a car or anything else. Uh, but I was just like, oh no, like, and, and like, there's these stories that I, I, I could recall of like going on trips and travel, like with luggage, um, you know, like, that just make me laugh or others where I'm like, I never Never want to experience that again. <laughs> like when, like, you're supposed to go to Florida, but your luggage ends up in, like, uh, Indiana or Wisconsin or so. You know, like, it's like, what just happened here? And you got to figure it out um, and go along the way. Um, well, but, like, sometimes also, like, you just don't need one, one piece of luggage. You also might need, like, you know, like a second one um, as well, too. But, like, well, with our family, like, it's not just one. It's actually, like, probably more like two. Um, and then they all have to sync, like, together, right? Like, they all have to look well. Because when they're coming off, like, at the, the airport, you got to be able to recognize, oh, yeah, that's my luggage, right? But you, you pack all this stuff together. You got the matching tags and everything. These are actually the ones that we took to Disney World uh, and, and we got and everything. But, you know, I think in life, there often are things like luggage that we bring with us things to make that life good and exciting. You know, we have hopes and dreams of what we want our life to be, um, and, and different things and experiences happen that lead us toward that. But oftentimes there are some things that get thrown in that baggage that we bring with us in life that aren't so good. You know, like memories and, and, and hurts uh, that end up happening, um, and they, they come with us. Um, we didn't really put them there, um, necessarily, but like there are things that ended up in our luggage, and we end up having to like figure out how to how to push it around and how to bring it ar- along with us in life. You know, like the one one time where I had a, a I was working with a buddy of mine. Uh, we were working on on a project, um, and like he had his way and system of how he wanted things to do, it, and I had my way. And um, he was bigger and like a little bit more stronger of a personality basically a jerk. Um, and, and like, and uh, he, so we went with his way. Um, and so like, there we are sitting in the play box, sandbox, like putting the GI Joes up on this side. And I wanted them over here, like with these guys and all that kind of stuff. Like, no, like there, there, there are these moments. So like, I, do you have any of those though? Like, I still remember, like, I don't remember exactly what the argument, like the thing said, but I remember being in the sandbox with playing GI Joes. And it was like the first fight with a, like a best friends, like that, that like stuck with me. Still to this day, like I feel it. Like I, I feel some of the same like hurt and like frustration with that, like now today, as I did like when I was like six, seven years old. And there's those things that happen for all of us, um, I think, like throughout life, and some of us more than others even, but the, we all have something um, interactions and fights or hurts that end up happening. And maybe it was something that was done uh, to you. Uh, you know, like, you know, or maybe it's like people that you have to hang out with and around that just irritate you. Um, and they like, it's like, you just don't like being around them. They're just uh, nagging and irritating. And you just like, it, it sticks with you though. Like even when you're not around them, you just like regret, like, and you don't even want to be near them, but you just have to because they're family um, or whatever it might be. Like, it's just like, you, you have to see them at, at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but then other things that, that do happen where it happened to you and you had no choice in the matter. You know, it was an affair. It was abuse of all sorts of kinds that I don't even have to say, right? Maybe even happened to you as a kid. I mean, I know the statistics, like one in every three women, like, and things that have gone on 
I know a handful of them myself that have gone through things that something was done to you or taken from you that hurt. And you didn't put it there, but you now have to carry it through life. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that baggage, that hole that was created by someone else that you then just, you can't deal with? Whether bitterness or resentment or revenge or, or, or whatever it might be, like you just can't forgive them for whatever they've done. Because forgiveness is hard, especially when it comes to those things. Maybe it's actually not something that was done to you. Maybe it's something that God allowed to happen. It just happened. There was no person, perpetrator that, that created it. It just happened, and it makes you wonder, God, why? Why did you allow that thing to happen? Why did you allow them to take, like, why did that person leave so early? And now I don't get to hang out with him. I don't get to raise my son. I don't get to, why? Maybe for some of us also, is things we've done that we carry with us that maybe others have forgiven us and maybe even we know God forgives us, but it still sticks with us because we can't forgive ourselves. We carry the weight and the hurt and the hole that we just, nothing can fill it. We try to fill it with other things. We try to cope. Maybe it's with drugs or alcohol or maybe it's with working out. Maybe it's with succeeding in business to try to earn more money and get a better position. And, um, but somewhere deep down, it really actually is driven out of this hole, this hurt that's within us that we are trying to fill, but it just can't because we're carrying this, this weight, this debt. And why is that? Why is like true forgiveness or healing so hard when it comes to these things? I think it's for a few different reasons. One is that I think that um, forgiveness is hard because the debt is so huge. The debt incurred, it, it's a, there's actually language around debt um, that is uh, from Jesus uh, and the other biblical writers when they talk about this hurt and brokenness and sin and forgiveness. It, it, it's like you somebody incurred a debt and um, you then are holding that debt o- over with that person that they owe you um, because they've done something, they've taken something from you. Um, but it's huge. It's big. Um, and often, though, the debtor doesn't understand the full measure of what they owe us. Maybe they know that they've done something wrong, but they don't fully know, or at least from our perspective, how big of a hurt they left, how much debt they owe us. And, and, but maybe also it's not just that. It's maybe we don't even know. We can't put to words the specific things of what was taken or lost or stolen. It's there. We know it. But we can't quite put the specific words around what that thing is. And so because we can't name it like, and or deal with it, it just then, we, we carry it along with us. It becomes this luggage, this baggage that we just can't offload. And it's heavier. It's like somebody put a rock. We're like, why is this so heavy? Now I got to pay extra like on this flight. Like what's going on here, right? Like, but I think that there's a lot of reasons like those, why forgiveness and, and hurt and, uh, is, is hard. It is. It's not an easy thing to deal with. And a lot of people try. You know, we talked about one way 
um, of dealing with people that hurt us or our enemies. Last week, my wife and I shared our Extreme Week Kids Takeover service, and you didn't watch it or weren't here, I'd encourage you to, to watch along. It was a lot of fun. Um, but we talked about a couple phrases that Jesus says that, that are kind of familiar to many of us, which is this series that we're in. Um, and one of them was that you, you, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Um, but I tell you, pray for those that hurt you. Pray for your enemies. Um, and it was because he said that, um, you know, you have heard it said because, well, they had heard it said. Um, it was a regular phrase that the Pharisees and other um, Jewish leaders would, would share. You know, there was an oppressed people. Um, and so they were like, hey, let's build into the family, the tribe, the nation that we are, even though we're oppressed and, and all that. Like, yeah, love your neighbor, but then hate your enemy. Like, they're the persecutor. They're the ones in charge. And they're the ones responsible for our demise. They're other than us. And so it's okay if you hate them. But that, like, line, hate your enemy, was never actually included in the original that God had given the people. It was love your neighbor, but the Pharisees had added that. And Jesus begins to, in this famous sermon, share this different way of living, this, this way of following him and what that would look like that contrasted everything that anybody had ever seen or heard at that point, whether it be the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders that, that they thought they were right with God and they had power in, in charge, or the pagans, others that, that they had their way of living. And, and Jesus sets a new model for how to live. And one of those that he says is pray for your enemies. And then right after he says that, he actually goes in to describe what prayer is like. And inside of this prayer, there's actually a little line about forgiveness. He sets up this understanding about prayer of contrasting, hey, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees who stand on a corner in front of everybody and they're like, hey, God, you're amazing, da, da, da. Like, but they shout it out loud and they stand in front of everybody because they want to be seen. And prayer was never meant to be about the person saying the words being looked at as somebody good and amazing. Jesus says, hey, I want you actually to go into a closet in private and pray to your heavenly father then. He also contrasts it with the pagans. And he says, hey, I don't want you to be like the pagans and babble along, like re repeating your words, thinking that if you, if you say them loud enough and, and enough uh, that you will be heard. Because they literally, like, the word is babble, like, um, and it came from, like, the idea of, like, there's, like, da, 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 like, you just babble along over and over and over and over again. But, uh, like, I, when I paused and thought about that idea, like, what kind of God is that that would listen to that kind of, you know, prayer? Well, if I'm, if you're the loudest, like, I'm going to listen to you. So, like, okay, I'm going to go over here and hang out with you and listen to you because you guys are really loud, but you guys are really quiet. So, like, I'm just going to ignore you. Like, uh, I'm going to come over here and hang out with you because you, like, you guys like me, and you're as louder. Like, and so that's pleasant. Like, that's, that's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve knows us, cares for us. He's a heavenly father. And so I think Jesus was setting up this prayer of basically saying it's not meant to be something to bring you glory, to make you look good because you say good things. It's actually meant to be something that's private, personal, intimate. It's something that's meant to be thought through, intelligent, meaningful. And so then we read in Matthew 6 this passage, this prayer, and this is what he says, the first Part of it is in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This first verse, this first little passage of this prayer is very simple, but it's directed toward God and who he is. 
he's a father in heaven. And it, it brings with it all of the, the, the warm goodness of, of what a father is meant to be, of somebody that's caring and active and a provider and a protector over his children and, and for his people. But that his name be kept holy or hallowed be your name, maybe you've heard it said. And it's not that you're saying, God, you are holy. It's the idea of like, may I treat your name as holy. May I, may I recognize that you are holy. Because he already knows that he's holy. Like, he doesn't need to be told that. It's this more of like, I want to align my own self to recognize that you are holy. And then may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this, this call to, I recognize heaven is perfect and awesome and good, and I want a little bit of that now. Please, God, like, can I have a little bit of heaven, like, right here, right now? Because, like, this is a dark world. There is some stuff going on here that I don't like at all. And so will you bring your heaven here, your will here, because I recognize that that is good and whole and peaceful and full of joy and hope. Bring that here. But this first portion is directed toward God in recognizing who he is. And the second portion then shifts the language toward more personal, like us and our relationship with him. And this is what it says in verse 11. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. He hits upon like three main points here that all are around our needs. Like that we, we have needs for food, right? Like daily. And um, several scholars believe that this is uh, the idea of the, the necessities of life you know, shelter and food, like what is needed to sustain life and our recognition that it comes uh, at a daily rate from God, with God. Not so much the things that I want and eventually would happen long ago, but like day by day, I am leaning upon and recognizing that I need this stuff from God. And then he talks about this line about forgiveness, which is what I really want to lean into. As we forg- uh, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. It's actually the only line in this prayer that Jesus clarifies. So he says this prayer, and if you've read it before, like he then adds on and basically it's like, okay, so let me re- re-explain this whole thing. Like forgiveness, like for- forgive others, like so God will then forgive you. It matters. Like he basically re-emphasizes the same statement. Because if you don't, like God won't forgive you. And I'm like, wait, what? What? Wait, wait if I don't forgive this person, God won't forgive me? Hold on, God. Jesus, like, are you real? Seriously? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, for me, I had to wrestle with it for a little while, quite a while. Um, and it, for me, it went back to, well, what's the purpose of prayer? Why, why would I even pray to begin with? Well, it is first and foremost about recognizing who God is. And then it is like aligning myself with him. Um, he knows me. I don't need to convince him of that. Like, um, I, I, by me saying any words, I'm not going to change his will. I believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like, he is God. He is love. Like, I can't change that. I think it has more to do with, with me. Um, Calvin uh, uh, said this, a theologian said, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty, or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, 
that they may exercise their fight in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom. In a word, they, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. It's the idea that when I pray, I may not change the person I'm praying for, but it for sure will change me. Then in the process of praying for my enemies, in the process of praying this prayer about who God is, it will change me. Your prayer for someone else may or may not change them. But those prayers will always, always change you. It can't change your past, but it can change your future. See, I think God was doing something specific when he connected forgiveness toward others and the forgiveness I receive. He connected those two together, right? I think he was doing something not so much about salvation, because I read elsewhere of Jesus and Peter and Paul about that I can't do anything, like that he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins as if, I, if I confess them to him, that uh, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Like there is nothing I can do to earn forgiveness. He's already given it already ahead of time. I think this is sometimes we will struggle with concepts because we blend different parts of it together. This is not talking about salvation, but it is talking about our working relationship between God and others here on earth now. That the way in which we can enjoy and live life now, the enjoy heaven on earth now, there's something about the way in which we view God's forgiveness for us and then our attitude towards others and forgiveness towards them, there's something about that that is linked, that we cannot unlink, unhinge. It has to go together. I'm supposed to forgive as I have been forgiven. Well, how have I been forgiven? Jesus forgave me before I could even do anything, love him back, or do anything to deserve it. Jesus went to the cross to provide a way for me to be clean, to pay that debt, I read that elsewhere, of the, you know, that, that debt language that, that was owed. Yes, you were hurt, and deeply so. And yes, there is a debt that needs to be paid. And nothing you do or the other person does is going to actually fill that hole. Jesus did make a way to pay that debt fully by going to the cross and, and living a, a, a sin-free life and le leading and teaching and sharing about love and a different way of living. And at the end of his life, he then died the most horrific death possible. And he chose to do so for our benefit. We read about the crucifixion. Luke actually records it and records several of the different things that end up happening in this interaction. And if you didn't know crucifixion, you, you've probably seen the movies and stuff like that. You nail your, your feet and your arms to a cross um, or something up and you're suspended above the air. And even before that, though, you're beaten um, oftentimes to where like your organs are even like exposed and you're bleeding, but just enough to where you actually are still living. Um, and then they ended up putting you on a cross. But unlike some of the movies that usually put the, the Jesus thing and others like high up, oftentimes I actually would put them just a step above the ground. So instead of their feet being like here, their feet would be like maybe just one step, just within reach that maybe if you could just come off the cross and you could get a little bit of relief. 
but also so that you would be eye to eye with all of your accusers. All the people that would like lash out insults at Jesus were eye to eye, spitting on him, calling him names, saying, hey, king of the Jews, free yourself. Come on down. Come on down. It's just one step. Just come on down. You can get relief. And spitting and hurling stuff at him. He was there amongst the crowds. And in order for him to talk or breathe, he would have to push up on that nail that was in his feet to then maybe just get some kind of breath and then come back down. And eventually you would suffocate in your own blood. But it would take days. It would take manpower to to watch this thing happen and make it happen. It was not a cheap thing. It was something that was only done to make a statement that everybody would see it because there's way easier and quicker ways that you could kill somebody and just throw them off to the side. But it would take Roman soldiers on guard day and night for multiple days to then lash, like wring it out. They would also like give you a little bit of wine, like to keep you sustained, a little bit of uh, you know water, and, and to, to, so that you just just enough to like keep you alive long enough, like to, to to maybe I can get out of this, but then you don't. And Jesus choosing to do this, we read that he became sin. He became the brokenness that was wrong with this world for all of us. He, be, he took that on that cross for us. And at the end, he says something that when I pause and I really think about, I gotta figure it out because I how? How do you say this, Jesus? We read that Luke records him saying this at the end of his whole life. Uh, this is what Jesus says in Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. He's looking at the creation in front of him that he loves and cares for, and he's dying for. And in order for him to say this, he's, he probably has to push up. He's like, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. Because I think that any of the people involved in that, they truly didn't understand the debt that they had. They didn't understand the acts that they were doing and what that was creating in Jesus. They also didn't understand that them participating in this would actually be the fulfillment of them being able to have any sort of peace and wholeness that would come through Jesus' death. But Jesus gave something to us that we did not deserve. If I look at my own life and the totality of my life, I am a sinner. I strive to be good, but none of that matters and compares. Like I am broken and I do not live up to the fullness that God would want for me. I have done things and said things in my life. I have a huge baggage of sin and brokenness that make up my life. I put Jesus on that cross. And he chose to do for me what I could not do for myself. I am not that good. But he is. That person that hurt you, they are not that good. They do not deserve it. But a God that loves us is that good to say, forgive them. And if I look at the people that have hurt me or my friends and others that have gone through stuff, and if I look, through, look at them through the lens of Jesus' love 
and forgiveness, there begins to be something that helps me to unwind and untwist the hurt and the brokenness that's inside of me. There's a way that I can open up my luggage and say, God, take this. I can't, I can't carry this anymore. I can't do it anymore, God. Take it. And you begin to let it go. And the way that you do that is through prayer. It's working it out and saying a prayer like what Jesus gave us. Because I think it's interesting that he did it in like a, it already has happened way. Can you put up that on the screen again? Matthew 6, he says, forgive them as you have been forgiven. The next one. Forgive us our sins. God, I am broken. I am messed up. As I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be consistent, not thoughtless, but thoughtful. It's going to be personal, not with them, but with God your Father. To call on his name as holy and the only one that could do anything to, to take that hurt and that pain, that weight from you. To go to him and regularly, consistently, thoughtfully, passionately, personally saying, God, forgive me as I forgive them. And eventually, you will experience that wholeness, that shalom that God speaks of. But we have to open our own selves to let it go. It's up to you and me to do this. It's, it's a gift available to you to experience his love, but you have to receive it. It also is something, if you, I'm going to add these a couple of little notes too that I found interesting. You know, um, if you do hold on to bitterness um, and pain and forgiveness, um, it does impact you physically, really. Anne Lamont said it this way, that it is equivalent to bitterness and unforgiveness is equivalent to drinking rat poison yourself and expecting the rat to die. Hopkins University did a study about forgiveness and anger and all of these different things, and they basically found that those that live a life uh, marked by forgiveness towards others have all of these health benefits. Blood pressure goes down, and uh, the rate of cancer is dramatically decreased. But the opposite is true as well. If you harbor resentment and anger and aggression toward others, it has a physical impact on our lives. So it matters. And I think God knew this because I think he wired us in a way that relationships are core and key to living life, that we, we do need sustenance and bread and, 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 and shelter, but more than that, maybe, for our soul, we need forgiveness. And, and they are linked. The way in which we receive it from God and, and, and have that relationship with us and him is linked then to how we then treat and care for others. And so we pray. We pray for our enemies. And we forgive as you have been forgiven. And I want to invite you as we close to do just that. As we pray to our Heavenly Father, let's go to him in prayer. God, you are good. What kind of love that you have for us that we 
would be able to receive such a gift that you would go to the extent of dying on a cross for me. God, I pray that your kingdom would be built here on earth now through our actions, through our attitudes, through our efforts, but recognizing that it is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. It is something that you do in us and through us. So God, provide for us. Help us each day with what we need. But God, forgive us as we forgive others. God, I know there are people in here today that they are carrying a weight of brokenness, of something that was stolen from them, something that that has carried uh, along in their life that is really dragging them down. God, I pray that they would be able to experience a bit of wholeness and peace today as they start the process of releasing it to you. Help them to forgive and to heal God, there are some of us, though, that are carrying the weight of our own sin, recognizing that we have done things and we don't deserve your goodness. God, be with us. Show us your goodness that we may experience hope and faith and love to its fullest. God, I choose today to follow you, to say yes to you, and to receive your goodness and love and mercy for which I do not deserve. God, I give this to you. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.